maybe not every single race that you enter, but even like top pros want to quit. You can want to quit when you're winning. Like you you can want to quit when everything is going well because you're so uncomfortable. And the thing is, is once you start quitting, you start building this new pathway that it's okay to quit and it never feels good to quit. So the first thing that I do or that I've done in the past, which I've practiced enough where I don't have to think about it as much is what would my future self say? Like, how is it going to feel if I drop out of this race and, and I know that I quit? So think about that. Number two, know that like the decision not to quit and the decision to keep going is going to be a muscle that you're going to strengthen. And even though you don't quit, you're going to be happy like that you kept going and it's going to get easier and easier to not quit. It's not going to stop the thoughts of I want to quit, but it's going to make it easier to not quit the more that you don't. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, your host, and as always, I'm here with my co-host, BJ. Thank you all for tuning in. This is a 100% listener-supported show, and we're grateful that you're here with us. And we are so grateful for your support on Patreon, which allows us to keep this podcast commercial-free. This podcast is the place where week after week, our guests show us that anything is possible. And this week's guest, Sonia Looney, is no exception. Sonia is a plant-based world champion mountain biker, podcast host of The Sonia Looney Show, owner of her own apparel company, Moxie and Grit. She is a speaker, a freelance writer, and someone who has followed and fueled her passion right into her career. Her goal is to help people live better and feel more alive because at the end of the day, she believes that that's what gives our lives meaning. And so today we are diving into all of it, including her latest and arguably greatest achievement yet, which is the little loony who is en route (laughs) this coming March. So Sonia, welcome to the show. This has been a long time coming. You came into our awareness over three years ago when we were on our tour across country and uh, we are so excited to see your news about this, uh, the little loony coming into the world. And um, yeah, so glad, glad to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And it's super fun to do this because I remember like, I remember even what room I was sitting in when we first talked on the phone when you guys were telling me about your adventure. And I'm sad that we haven't met in person yet, but hopefully that'll happen soon. Yeah, you know, it probably will happen sooner than later now that we've actually pulled the trigger on the podcast because I think we were kind of waiting to be in the same arena with each other. And we were like, no, we just got to do it. We got to bring her on the show. And especially at this super exciting time in your life as you're going to be transitioning into being a mother, but it seems that you are not playing planning on dropping this athlete role either. So I guess my question is like, what has pregnancy taught you already? Like, what is this little one already teaching you? This is kind of the first time I'm publicly talking on a podcast about it. Like I haven't even really gone into it on my show yet because it's been weird. Like normally I'm a very extroverted person and I really want to share everything. But with being pregnant for some reason, there's been some um, like depression, I guess I would call it and anxiety where I just feel like, have felt like hiding and I've never felt that way in my entire life. So it, it comes and goes and I'm actually, it's, it's hard when it happens, but I'm really thankful that it's happening because it's really taught me that like I talk about mindset all the time and self-talk and meditation. And there's some things that you just can't talk yourself out of and you just have to give yourself space to accept whatever you feel and just be with it. And that's been really helpful to learn that in this arena, like on, on the bike, I know that very well, but it's really different whenever you're like at home. 
Um, number two, I've learned to like learn to let go of expectations and generally just learn to let go. And I, I would say that I'm a hundred percent there, but I'm still learning to let go because as an athlete, I've been an athlete, you know, in some form my entire life. So I've always been set on, okay, I have my workouts I want to do, or I, I just want to be active for a certain number of hours per week. And, and when you're pregnant, you just can't do that. You have to really learn to listen to your body and let go of the ego and let go of the external validation that you get when you see like this many hours on Strava or like this power number and you just have to let it go. I love um, <clears throat> what you were saying about sometimes you just can't talk yourself out of it. And I think that there is this idea and really a pinnacle point where a lot of people walk away from training their mindset or discovering new mindsets that they can live within is this idea that all of a sudden if you start being mindful or you start meditating that it's going to be bliss and my experience is that when i started meditating it was like i opened up a can of worms the can of worms that i avoided trying to see for my entire life and one of the biggest things that i believe has kept my momentum of growth moving forward is the allowance of when you feel in that dark place, when you feel like hiding, sometimes it's okay to just be there. But but the work I find, the mastery is like being aware that you're there. And yeah, just allowing sure. it, allowing it to be there, that this that this life is a life of contrast. And so I guess on that point of contrast, right? Like the highs and the lows and the bright days and the dark days. How are you finding um, that you're not na- that you navigate that? Uh, I think number one is accepting and realizing that neither highs nor lows are permanent, and just trying to be as present as you can with it. So on days that I feel really good, it's 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 just that day, and I say great, like I feel great on my bike today. I have energy to give to my work, and and that's awesome. But I try not to get attached to having that energy because the next day it might be gone. And then whenever I have those days where I'm frustrated and I'm laying on the couch and I just want to be doing something, then I just say to myself, look, like I'm going to have other days where I feel good. And it, it's hard because I don't, I don't like saying athletes are selfish. Like I don't think athletes are selfish people, but you have to really be planning and prioritizing your training and your health as number one, whenever you're an athlete over everything else. So having like a human growing inside you, you have to kind of put that aside and say, well, I'm growing a human. Like that is incredibly amazing. And that is also probably the most demanding thing that you could ask your body to do. So just learning to be okay with that. And this all sounds amazing whenever I I talk about it and I don't want people to think that I have it all figured out. And then it's like this blissful thing that I've come to accept and be there. It's hard and it's something I have to work on every day. And something that I have found frustrating with reading about athlete pregnancy online is that some people I feel haven't really been truly open with how the full experience has been. Some people have, but I don't want people to think that it's this breeze and it's easy. Like pregnancy, even if you're not an athlete, is hard. And there's a lot of um, expectations, I think, from our society to say, like, oh, I'm so lucky I'm pregnant, which I I am. I'm incredibly fortunate. I'm so happy I have a a healthy baby so far. But there's this shame and guilt with saying like, I don't feel good or I I feel depressed or like, I I feel like I've lost something. And also just accepting that that's okay too if you feel that way. 
you know, we would call that like, that's the up level, right? Like you have, you, we have to growth, right? Growth is about experiencing this contrast and letting go of who we think we are so that we can become and step into this new up leveled version of ourselves. And I'm not a mother to a two legged human in this life. But I have up-leveled in many, many ways. And I feel like I've been a mother to thousands of, you know, humans yeah. on this on this earth. And they continually, continually, whether they realize it or not, ask me to let go of who I think I am so that I can rise above and, and be that better teacher. And I think from all the women that I've worked with through meditation and mindfulness, athletes, um, also in my massage therapy practice for many years, that there's no bigger teacher than realizing like, I'm not just Sonia anymore. Like I am Sonia and then this, this being that's like coming into the world. And it seems like you've got plans and I love, love the plan, like, right? Cause we, cause we, we do, we do need, it's okay to have goals and it's okay to have plans, right? And what you're learning is how to navigate those and let go of the tethers when you need to let go of them. But it seems like you're planning on having this little nugget with you in tow um, for a race season. So what mm -hmm. is obviously knowing that you're gonna ebb and flow with life and this new life, which is really the boss of you now. Um, <laughs> what is the plan? Like what, what's the grand plan for this pregnancy as a professional mountain biker? Well, the plan for now is to try to start sharing my journey and be brave, even though for some reason I, I feel uncomfortable sharing it. So that's my first goal. Um, it's been amazing because the little I've shared so far, there's been a lot of other athletes who have sent me private messages saying that they felt really alone and they felt shame and all those things I was just talking about. So connection is, is number one. Um, number two, like I'm just excited to, to help this being get better. Like my passion is helping people get better. And like you said, you've been a mother to lots of people. Helping people is my passion and teaching people things is my passion. And what a really cool thing to bring your own person into the world and get to watch them. And they're gonna teach you. And number three, like, I just wanna show people that you can still do it. Like there's lots of people that think, oh, you have to retire if you have a baby. And if you wanna retire, that is totally okay. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I don't think that you should be forced into it. And I, I was afraid to get pregnant because I thought, well, what if I lose my sponsors or should I wait until I retire to get pregnant? Cause it's going to be too hard. But then I realized like 35 was my age where I was like, I got to start really thinking about this. And, and if I'm going to do it, I got to do it. Cause who knows how long it's going to take. And I realized like, I'm not going to just come to a point where I'm going to retire. <laughs> like I love being an athlete and my, what being an athlete means might shift and change and the types of events I'm doing might change but this is part of who I am. So it's just gonna be including this this awesome human into my life and they're gonna get to see like how how hard my husband and I work and like what our values are and the best way to teach somebody something is to live it. So I can't wait to share that too. So you're doing this research on, you know, athletic moms and you know, what's the what's the best course and you've got you've got the background, you've got a master's degree, you've got this intellect. How do you balance all the information you're collecting with putting that into action and moving forward and not not getting too, you know, involved with all this information. How, how do you navigate it? How do you take the information and then move forward? 
The first thing for me has been realizing that some of the information actually triggers me to feel anxious because a lot of pregnancy stuff is like this, this chance of miscarriage or this chance of something going wrong, or it's all about stuff going wrong. And it's really hard to always be so focused on that and to always be hearing it. So I've had to be more aware of when that happens. And in my early pregnancy, I was, I was really nervous. And then just recently I was feeling really good. And then just recently I was reading this book. It's like, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like something about expecting in, in 2019 and how it has all this updated research. So I'm reading through all this research, but it's still all about all the things that could go wrong. And I found myself getting like super anxious and giving myself new things to worry about. So like, I'm, I can't do that anymore. I'm not doing that. I'm not reading any more of that stuff. And as an analytical type, I tend to start spiraling into like, it's a form of control. Like you feel anxious and then you try and read all the information, learn as much as you can. And that's you trying to strangle it and control it. So trying to let it go and trust my body and just say, my body knows what to do. If something happens, like there's going to be medical team that can help me. But I, all this thinking about it is not going to make anything better. It's just going to make it worse. And then in terms of like guidelines for athletes, there's not a whole lot out there, especially for elite athletes, but just reading that like, this 100 there's a in the 80s it said you can't let your heart rate go over 140 like that that's a myth and that's not true um the biggest thing that i've heard repeatedly with from like other professional athletes or athletes and and research is like just listen to your body but it's so easy to say that it's really hard to do because as athletes it's about being tough and pushing through and and like dealing with discomfort. And so it's trying to figure out the balance of how uncomfortable am I supposed to be? And if I'm tired, should I still go out and ride? And I don't have the answer for that because I think it's really different for everybody. Like I've heard stories of people who are still racing while they're pregnant, which, you know, good for them. I definitely couldn't do that with how I feel. <laughs> I'm really slow and uh, I can't breathe on my bike and um, running even. I'm, I'm, I've, I've done a little bit of running and I'm pretty slow there. So it's just like, it's just like trying to accept where you're at and let go of the athlete training mentality and just say, I'm, I'm here to be healthy. I'm also here to be mentally healthy. So if I'm like in my first trimester, I forced myself through 12 hours a week of riding and I was exhausted and I was frustrated and I hated riding my bike because I was forcing myself when I felt terrible. So now in my second trimester, I feel like I have a bit of, I don't want to call it wisdom, but a bit of knowledge around that. So now if I feel that way or I feel I'm on my bike and I feel myself being like, I don't want to be here, I just go home. But whenever you're training for something, you don't just go home. Most of the time you keep going. So it's, it's figuring out like where, where, where that works for you. And it's different for everybody and realizing that you're going to have to learn as you go. And that connection that you're talking about, the you know, tapping in and understanding where you are, like deciphering what's real and what's not, comes from meditation, comes from a mindfulness practice, comes from sitting with yourself. What is, do you have a practice and what does it look like? I do. I wish I could say that I meditated every day. I kind of go through stints of meditating every day and then meditating really intermittently. Um, I certainly think that the things that I've learned through meditation, I apply in a mindfulness practice every single day. So every single day I try and realize like, okay, like there's, there's leaves outside my window and I, I will look every day and like, what, what color are those leaves? Are they, are they falling off? And like, are they blowing in the wind? Like just trying to bring myself into the present or on my bike rides, I try and just like bring myself into the moment 
or I just, whenever I'm eating something, I think about that. And I also have a gratitude practice where I don't formally write stuff down, but I'm always all day long. I'm thinking about things that I'm thankful for. So it's become a daily part of my life. Um, I am excited to continue working on, um, being a quote, more regular meditator. I don't want to say better meditator because that implies that you have to be good at it. But there, I've done an, uh, an incredible amount of research on the neuroscience side of meditation. And I did a, I have a Monday, sh- a Monday show in addition to my Thursday. And it's about like all these different contemplations and habits and things that you can do for your week. And the most recent one I did was about willpower. And it was awesome to read that like meditation and mindfulness is one of the number one things you can do to have more willpower because it, it quiets the default mode network, which is the area of your brain that causes all that chatter and, and, and thinking, overthinking, and it gets tired. And like stress turns off parts of your brain as well. So it just it's just irrefutable like how important meditation is. It's just getting into it and and being like, no, like I'm like I'm doing this because I know that this is this is good for me. But I, I feel like embarrassed that I don't do it every day. I'm far enough along now where it's like I woke up at three o'clock in the morning this morning and I felt amazing. I woke up and I'm like, I feel so amazing. And I just was like, I'm going to meditate. So I meditated for an hour from three o'clock to four o'clock, got into this like super calm mode and then went back to bed for two and a half hours. And it was not that we judge our meditations, but in the decade plus that I've been in meditation, probably the first uh, five years of that being intermittent, um, and maybe even longer than that. This is probably one of the deepest, most amazing experiences I had was from 3 a.m. to 4 a.m. In, mo- in the morning. And the only reason I had that was because I got out of the analytical mind that said, you can't get up at three in the morning. You're going to be tired. You're talking to Sonia. You got to be on your game. Like this is a, you, you need to bring a meaningful conversation to the audience. Like I didn't get into any of that. I just followed the intuition. And so it's really when we're talking about trusting the body, when we're talking about staying committed to our meditation practice, we're really talking about the only time we can make that happen is in the moment. The only time we can make that decision to do it is in the moment. So what happens in the moment where you say, nope, not going to do it? Uh, normally it's like I'm thinking every day I'm thinking like, okay, like I should sit down and meditate. And I really like the app 10% happier because I, I'm just like a science nerd and there's all this like always a science component to it. Um, so I was like, okay, there's the, there's the notification that I should do it, but I'm in the middle of something right now and I don't want to stop. So I'll do it later. Well, then I start getting in a rush. I'm like, well, I got to go get on my bike now. I'll meditate when I get back. And you just start putting it off and putting it off. Um, Number two, I think it's the fact that I can't tell a difference when I meditate versus when I don't meditate. Like I've done like 30, 60 day stints in a row to see if I feel any different. But I think it's one of those things where like it is making a difference. You just can't see it. It's kind of like I don't don't know if anyone listening has done some therapy, but I work with a sports psychologist and I've been I, I talk to her intermittently as well, like probably once every six to eight weeks. But even with that infrequent of discussions that we've had. There's been a massive growth, but it's hard to to see it in the moment. But looking back, I can see it. So I think meditation is like that, where it's like you can't watch a plant grow. Like you just can't. It's it's not gonna it's not gonna grow as fast as you want it to. So it's accepting that yeah, like this is something I'm doing for me, and I know that I know the science shows that this is gonna make me better. So I just have to do it. <sighs> yeah, I. I just wish I was just doing it, but I just need to. <laughs> but it's the, it's the same resistance that people come up against with physical training. 
right? Where yeah. they're like, oh, I should get on the bike. 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 I'm going to take the kids to school. I should get on the bike. I should get, and then the bike never happens. We see this all the yeah. time. And you do a lot of reframing of situations and stories. Uh, I've heard you talk about that. And it really is, for me, one of the things that, well, one, two of the things that really sold meditation, one was re- all about vanity, because I read some scientific research about how it can actually reduce aging. And I wasn't into Botox or surgery or anything like that. So I was like, yeah. okay, well, that's good. I like that. So that was really a huge buy-in for me. Um, but the, um, the other piece was the mental reps. Like if I'm doing my physical reps, why wouldn't I do my mental reps? And so just reframing it to like, I got to do my mental reps. And when you look at the amount of training that we do the physical, we can be out on the bike for five hours. I can be on a run for six hours, but it's like that 10 minutes or 45 minutes or whatever it is that you meditate, which is a very small period in the day. There's so much resistance against that. And I think it's, I believe it's tied into the energy of, you know, of the ego and, fear of success, which I believe is kind of in disguise as fear of failure. And I know that you've experienced that in your life. So I wanted to get your take on that. Like is fear of failure actually perhaps maybe fear of success in disguise? I'm not really, I don't think that I have fear of success and I haven't really thought about that part too much. Like I think more along the lines of like whenever you're trying to achieve something, and get somewhere you think, well, I'm going to be happy when my podcast has this many listeners, or I'm going to be happy when I get this race result, or I'm going to be happy when I get pregnant or, you know, whatever it is. And you end up putting your happiness to the future. And you also think that this achievement, that this quote success is going to be the thing that makes you feel happy and fulfilled, but that's not going to happen. Like ask any, anyone, like no matter where they are in their journey, no matter what the level of achievement they have, they never feel satisfied. So I don't know if it's fear of success, but I I think it's like thinking that if you get there, you're going to feel fulfilled, but you're not going to feel fulfilled. And it's learning how to just enjoy the journey and the process, not to sound cliche, but it's true. Like you'll feel like a little bit of excitement in the moment whenever you achieve something, but what does success even mean? Like it's not an end point. It's just like, it's like a point on the progression. There was a study done in 1999, and the summation of it was that present moment awareness is the essence of the psychology of peak performance in sport. And I believe that present moment awareness is that skill that allows us to enjoy the journey. Because if we're thinking about the finish line as what's going to bring us happiness, then we're not in the present moment. Right, we're mm-hmm. not in the present moment. So to dive into your journey, because we just dove into where you are now, but for people who may not be familiar with your journey, can you just bring us up to where you are today as a professional athlete? Yeah, I think the underlying um, thing that knits it all together is power of choice and being open to opportunities and not saying I can't do that because of X. So. I, I grew up like a nerd, like I love school. I was, I was always in all the, like the top, you know, the honors classes, my, my, I loved homework. Like I was one of those weird kids that really enjoyed learning. And I still do like my entire, everything I do for my work is a research project because I just love learning. Um, and I was a band nerd. Like I was in, I, I was in the school band. I like played the flute and the piccolo. Like it was my, it was my life. And 
I didn't self-identify as an athlete, although I was like a varsity tennis player and all those things. And I was never really confident in, in myself. And despite being like top, top person in the band in my section and like in the run for valedictorian and one of the best tennis players in my school, I still was like super awkward and people picked on me all the time. And it's because I wasn't confident in myself. And it wasn't until someone in my class, it was like my senior year, a girl that I looked up to who was a popular girl, but was nice to me in class. She was like talking to her friend saying, yeah, I'm going to run a marathon. So I thought running, well, that sounds kind of cool. I've never really like just gone running before, except when I was like in sixth grade and told my dad I wanted to go running. And he's like, you can go, but you have to get up with me in the morning. So I got up with him at like 5 a.m. to go running. And yeah, he didn't, he didn't really slow down for me. So I just remember like running and crying. My lungs were burning and I couldn't keep up. And that was like my last experience running until this experience. <laughs> so I decided, okay, I'm going to run a marathon. And I didn't tell anybody that I was doing it. Like I didn't do it for external validation. So I just decided I was. So I started training for it and something weird happened. I found confidence and I really have done a lot of thinking and reading about confidence and it, I think it comes from self-acceptance and running taught me self-acceptance and I ended up doing a marathon or two but then I didn't know how to train I didn't know anything about endurance sports so I of course I was getting stress fractures and injuries and um, I was all or none so I was doing way too much so I started spin, going to spin class at the gym and uh, some guys at my work now, I was like in college, they said, hey, like, do you want to go for a mountain bike ride? And I was like, sure. So here's what first choice, mountain biking. A lot of times people think, well, I don't know how to mountain bike or it's dangerous or whatever, but I had never been mountain biking. I didn't know what it was, but I just went and it was awesome. And if I had not done that, my life would be in a completely different place. So I started mountain biking. Two weeks later, I did my first race. Um, I went all in on mountain biking and that was about, gosh, that was like in uh, 2003. <laughs> I started racing and yeah, my life really started to change after that. I, I realized that like everyone was engineers and I was going to school for engineering and I thought, well, I have to follow this path because I don't know if there's any other way. And a lot of times people like they have support from their family or they support their dreams, but my family didn't support my dreams. I'm not mad about it. It's just that they didn't understand it. So, and they thought like, well, I want you to be secure and I want you to like go down the path that we know is, is going to work for you. But that path wasn't going to work for me. So I, I went against like everything that everybody was saying to me. And I, in, I ended up moving to Boulder for grad school and I didn't move to grad to go to grad school because I loved engineering, but because I wanted a flexible lifestyle so that I could be a pro mountain biker. So I entered a PhD program and under a fellowship uh, to be a pro mountain biker, although the school didn't know that. And I ended up stopping at my master's. And then I started working for uh, a solar startup in Boulder. And I loved learning about renewable energy. And I love learning about business way more than engineering. And I started a blog and it was like in 2007 or 2006, because I just wanted to share my stories with people because I thought it was interesting to be racing in Colorado. And then from there, um, I wrote a, a blog post about a backpack and it sent all this traffic to this company's website. And this is like pre-social media stuff. And I, I didn't know people read my blog. And then this company contacted me and they said, hey, we want you to like be on our mountain bike team and we want you to come work at events doing marketing for us and sales. So I was like, okay. And then it got to the point where I was doing so much. I was, I was working for them and working my engineering job and trying to race. And I said, look, listen guys, like you have to offer me a job because I, I, I can't continue doing all of this. So they offered me a job 
And it was basically like taking over their sales and marketing all over the United States. So I got to start traveling and doing tech clinics and teaching people about this, these awesome products. And I, I did that for five years and it enabled me to travel, number one, because I was way too broke to do that. <laughs> and number two, I just, I really love teaching people about my sport because it changed my life so much. It made me so happy, like it brought me community, it brought me even more confidence and, and meaning and purpose in my life. So I started holding these free talks for people everywhere I travel, just so they could come and they could ask me about whatever they wanted. And at first it was like, what tire pressure do you run? Or like, what bike, what, what bike do I buy? And you know, those things are important and you need to know those things when you're a new athlete. And even if you've been an athlete for a while, but it started changing. People started asking me about these adventures I started going on, like asking me, like, what was it like to be, you know, the first big race I did was in Brazil, like a, a, it was like a seven day race in Brazil. What was that like? And tell the stories from that. And all this storytelling started morphing again into like people wanting me to teach them life lessons that I had learned from the trail. And I started writing about those things for magazines. And that whole journey kind of has exploded into this this role, which I'm so incredibly grateful and thankful to be in where I get to like help people through my experience and then through all this extra research that I've done to just help people be better, like be healthier, have better nutrition, make better, like be be happier in their minds. And it's, it's the best thing that I could, ever could have asked for. Growing up, you know, not that confident. And then you start running and that's bringing you confidence. But I mean, <clears throat> how did that how did you continue to believe in yourself? What were kind of the markers that allowed you to believe in yourself? Because here you are making choices that go against what your family believes is, you know, the right track. And now you're getting up and you're giving free talks. You're, you're putting yourself in a position of vulnerability. You're not doing the mainstream like, okay, this is how much tire pressure, right? Like you, you start branching off and you're following. So you've got this analytical mind, but you also, it seems like you've got this big heart that's really powerful and you're and you're following these, kind of these breadcrumbs. But that requires you to believe in yourself, to kind of stand up there. So were there times where you're standing up there and you're like scared? And how do you move forward from that? And, and were are there any stories that you have where you're just like, yeah, bang, like that really allowed me to believe in myself? That's a great question. Um, I think that every single day, whenever you choose to do something that is something that you believe in, like for me, it was running. Like I, that was something I did every day and it wasn't like an overnight thing where all of a sudden I ran a 10 K and now all of a sudden I'm a, I'm a different person. It's, it's what happens on those runs or on those bike rides every day and the things that you think of and it's just you out there. And whenever you're out there by yourself, it's your choice. Like, do I keep going? Do I slow down? Like, who am I? What are my expectations? What happens when I arrive a setback? Like you have to go through all of these really extreme emotions and really extreme situations whenever you are doing an endurance sport. I, I've tried to do research on this. Like on a, on a team, I feel like their team is there to kind of carry you along if something happens and you do have to contribute to the team. But when it's just you, like there's no one who's going to like carry you along except for you. So you have to do that. But like, I think that what's happened over time is I just realized that if I don't try something, I'll regret it. And every time I've put myself out there for the most part, except for like when I was trying to date people growing up, <laughs> like I've, I've been rewarded for it. Like vulnerability is strength and it's hard whenever you take that first step and you're afraid to, to put yourself out there and then look bad. And 
being willing to put yourself out there and just not be up to someone else's expectations. Like you have to do that because you don't know what you're going to open by not doing that. Like if you don't show up, if you don't try, if you don't say, I'm just going to do this because I believe in it, then you're never going to know what you're capable of. So in that same realm of um, seeing opportunity, when you were, I think you were on academic probation and you were coming last in your races, you found yoga in Boulder. (laughs) Yes. um, I was the top achiever all the time in everything. And I moved for grad school, not knowing that the PhD program I was in was like the hardest program and not knowing that, wow, like I'm not going to get straight A's. My expectations need to change. My first semester, I worked incredibly hard and I got two B's and a B minus. And I was not a B student. And in grad school, that's a 2.9 GPA. And you have to maintain a 3.0 in order to like stay on the good list. So I was put on academic probation, which is really crazy. I had to get a letter signed by the dean for getting two B's and a B minus. So I didn't get kicked out. And from a racing perspective, it was my first year as a pro, the first year I moved to Boulder. And everyone there is like, world champions or you know olympians or just whatever so like whenever you line up for a race there it's much more competitive than a lot of other places so my expectations were completely out of line and i thought i'm gonna do well as a pro nope i was finishing like in the back of the races and i was literally riding my bike and crying at the same time because i was so disappointed and so embarrassed it was hard and I was a perfectionist and I thought that people only love me if I achieve things. And it's something that I still have to remind myself every day that I am not my achievements and achieving more won't make people love me more. And it's still hard to accept that. A friend of mine invited me to go to yoga and I think that people try yoga and then they think, well, I don't like it because they didn't connect on a a spiritual level or a deeper personal level with their instructor. And I thought about becoming a yoga instructor, not because I love the the move, the asanas and yoga. I just love the, the connection and the feeling that you get when you're doing it because of that. So I connected with these amazing instructors. I, I didn't realize how lucky I was because now I don't live in Boulder anymore and it's been incredibly difficult to find a yoga practice here that resonates with me. In fact, I've been here in Canada and Kelowna for five and a half years and I, I don't do yoga anymore because I can't find anybody that I connect with because for me, it's deeply personal. So what I learned from these, these teachers was like how to accept myself and how to love myself regardless of what the result of something is and how to be present and that it's okay to feel stuck. And just all of these, like how to, how to feel my body, how to feel what's happening in my body. And it's not just about pushing all the time. It's about looking inside and saying what's happening in here. And that's like a mindfulness and, and meditative like journey that I went on through yoga and it's something I've carried with me my entire life ever since. So the thing that um, I love about that environment of yoga is that there is this, it doesn't matter if you've got a teacher blaring music and talking the whole time or somebody who's really holding a lot of space in silence. The, I think the foundation of it all is this self-acceptance that, you know, anything like, there is no there is no failure it's all helps you move forward if you see it that way if you see it that way i hated my first yoga class i absolutely hated it but when i left i couldn't deny that i felt a calmness have you pulled a similar calmness 
from the practice of yoga and how do you feel that calmness is a benefit to endurance athletes which is really the brunt of the community that listens to this show where is endurance yeah i would say that i've definitely carried that through into my daily life because all those things that you learn they compound if you practice them and if you are minded and you think about them and same with the things I've written about and my, the topics of my podcast, like these are all things that came from things I learned or began learning in yoga. And that's why I also like the 10% happier app is like, I feel like before you start each meditation, it's like talk, it's like a yoga instructor, almost like talking about like different things and like, or self-compassion or loving kindness or whatever. Um, so just like being curious and continuing to want to learn about these topics is, is really helpful. And you can do that without, without finding the right yoga instructor in your town, you can do that through reading about, it was just mindfulness that I, that I love learning about. And I didn't know that that's what it was called, but yoga is a way to practice it in your body and to slow down enough. And we hold so much in our bodies. Like it's crazy. Like, so yeah, I think, sorry, I I forgot the question. The calm, (laughs) like the calmness, this element of calm. Yeah. And I, I think that the meditation that I've done over the years has truly help with that because meditation teaches you to create space between something that happens and then your reaction to that thing that happens. So, and, and, and I know that, I know that that is so helpful because say you're out on the course and you you get lost and in that moment you realize you're lost. Like, what do you do? Like start screaming, get angry, like start thinking all these crazy thoughts of how, how your day is ruined. Or do you pause and say, people make mistakes or this happened? It, it, it doesn't mean that like I'm a failure. It doesn't mean that this race is, is worthless. Like it just happens. Or like if you get a flat tire or maybe you just don't feel good on the day and everybody that normally is you're beating is beating you. And it's like being able to pause and say, why do I feel this way? And and where is this feeling coming from? Like that is so incredibly powerful and everywhere in your life. And I'll tell you, you have your little buddy Clark and I got my little buddy Baxter and I got my first dog last year and we've had him for about a year. And I have never been somebody to have a temper like ever. And the dog gets me, I mean, I get super worked up about the dog. Like he knows how to push my buttons and I have felt myself just snap and I've never had that before. So. Like I'm trying to repractice these things that I've learned about creating space because I've I've taught myself to be calm as an athlete and calm like in business situations and have like the radio DJ voice when you're doing a negotiation. But whenever you have like a person that you love or a thing or like an animal, like that pushes the button, well now this is a whole other ball game. So I'm always learning how to create space between the emotion and the thing that just happened. Yeah. It- I talk a lot about the selective use of that skill and you were just talking about you use it in mountain biking, you use it in business, but when it comes to your personal thing, you don't use it, but the skill is already there. And this this happens with a lot of um, athletes we talk to. They have what they need already inside, right? They have the skill. They just selectively use it. You know, they really like the run, let's say, for a triathlete and they selectively use that will to run fast on the second half of the, the run but they choose to, to give up on the bike a little bit because it's challenging. Or even they, even before that, they start in the swim, right? The swim, they're like, this is the, the water's cold, the wind is blowing, I don't feel right. And they've already got this story in their head. So they're selectively- That's what I think about swimming. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned one thing, which I think is really important that a lot of athletes relate to, and I can too, it's, it's that feel of quitting almost every time. I can tell you, 
half the races I've done, I'll take a few strokes into an Ironman race and I'm like, uh, I don't feel like doing this. I just wanna stop. Um, how do you create that? So you have that space. How do you reel yourself back in? Because you've raced a lot. You've raced a lot over your 15 year career. Like, how do you reel yourself back in when you wanna quit? I love that you are bringing this up because you you literally, like maybe not every single race that you enter, but even like top pros, want to quit. You can want to quit when you're winning. Like you you can want to quit when everything is going well because you're so uncomfortable. And the thing is is once you start quitting, you start building this new pathway that it's okay to quit. And it never feels good to quit. So the first thing that I do or that I've done in the past, which I've practiced enough where I don't have to think about it as much is what would my future self say? Like how is it going to feel if I drop out of this race and and I know that I quit? So think about that. Number two, know that like the decision not to quit and the decision to keep going is gonna be a muscle that you're gonna strengthen. And even though you don't quit, you're gonna be happy like that you kept going and it's gonna get easier and easier to not quit. It's not gonna stop the thoughts of I wanna quit, but it's gonna make it easier to not quit the more that you don't. And just like knowing that that moment isn't going to last the entire race. Like there's moments where you feel awesome and you're having a blast, especially in longer races. And there's moments where it's horrible and you're like, why am I out here? Why did, why am I paying money to do this? Like it, it might not, the race might not have even started yet. You might just be nervous and be like, Oh, I could be doing anything else on this Sunday morning. Like, why did I put myself in this situation? And it's because that's where growth happens. And whenever you're done, it really makes you feel so much better. And yeah, like in life that happens too. There's mo there's there's moments that are in really intense and that suck. And there's moments that are really awesome. And we talked about this in the very beginning of the show, the highs and the lows. But that's what life is. Like if you were going through life on autopilot where you never had anything happen and you, you're, the water was like glass all the time, it would just be so boring and there'd be no dimension or depth to what you're doing. The technique that you talk about, like you kind of talk to your future self, like how am I going to feel if I make this decision? I think that is one of the most profound things. I have used that my entire life. Like, yeah, make no mistake how many times I've wanted to quit. Like BJ, every single Ironman I did, like a couple strokes in, I'm like, oh, like cup of coffee and a bagel sounds amazing right now, you know? And it's just, what are you going to choose to listen to? What, what are you going to choose? Yeah. Are you going to choose that or are you going to choose... Uh, a new mindset of I am so grateful to be here I'm so grateful that I was able to pay for the registration that I was able to you know fit into my wetsuit today that my <laughs> joints work that my arms work you know it's 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 being in this attitude of gratitude but I think that that technique of asking yourself if I if I get up today and do this workout am I going to regret it I would say 100% of the time it's going to be no. Of course you're not going to regret it. Of course you're never going to regret doing something that is going to build your will, build your belief in yourself, um, make you feel like you're winning the day, whether you win the race or not, whether you whether you you know nail the workout or not. It's like, did you give yourself a chance? I think that's, that's so incredibly important. So I want to shift gears here because I want to talk about the fact that you're a plant-based athlete. And can you tell us your story about how long you've been plant-based and what your transition was like? It's funny. I was actually laying in bed this morning thinking like, how long has it been? Because my husband and I just recorded like a two-part frequently asked questions about plant-based diets. 
and we were just talking about like what year we changed our diet. And I thought, man, like it's been kind of a while. So I changed my diet in 2013. So it's been, yeah, six plus years. And it's funny because like my husband, Matt, he's amazing and he's a huge part of my life and he's a huge inspiration to me. And we both eat plant-based, but every time people meet us, they think that he, that I introduced him to it, but he actually introduced me to it. So I met him at a mountain bike race in 2012, uh, BC bike race. And I saw that, and we were eating, like we were just friends and I saw what he was eating and I, he was eating these like huge plates of food with like beans and grains and vegetables. And I thought, how is he doing a stage race? Like not eating any meat? Like that's crazy. So I just asked him like, what are you eating? <laughs> and he said, Oh, I, I, I'm a vegan. And my first reaction was like, Oh no, like I liked you, but no, not, not another vegan. <laughs> Because I, you know, I'm not knocking vegans, I, but I, I lived in Boulder and I had had some negative experiences with vegans. And yeah, it's hard because whenever you're really passionate about something, you just want to tell people about it, but not everybody's communication skills are empathy driven, I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I had a negative impression of, of vegans. But so he's like, oh, I, I changed it because I watched this, do this documentary, uh, Forks Over Knives, and I am taking control of my health and I'm going to prevent cancer and I, like I'm going to prevent heart disease. And he started listing all these things I was afraid of, of and things that I thought I had no control over. Like I thought, well, for sure I'm going to get breast cancer someday. Look at all these women who get breast cancer. I, I don't want to get breast cancer. Like, what do I do? So when I learned after doing my own research, like I had to go away on my own process, all this information on my own. When I realized that, wow, I have a lot of control over things that are going to happen to me in my life. It's, it's my decision. That was really empowering. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm afraid to change my diet because I do lots of seven day races. Like what if I can't recover or like, what if I get slower or what if I really do need to eat meat? So I thought, well, I'll just do it gradually. So I, in the middle of my season, I changed my diet and I just started slowly transitioning to saying that, okay, I eat four meals a day. So one meal is going to be like I normally eat and three meals are going to be plant-based and I'll just see how I feel. And I started feeling better and better. So eventually I just, it took about probably two to three months to completely let go, but I got rid of all animal products and something weird happened. I got faster and I wasn't expecting that. Like I changed my diet so that I could be healthier. But as a result, like if you're reversing heart disease, that's like built up over your entire life and you have better blood flow and you have way less inflammation in your body, like you're going to recover better and you're going to be faster. And also mentally your, your brain is going to work better. So like your whole life actually gets better when you change your diet. And the funny thing was I've, I've eaten that way for quite some time and I didn't tell anybody for a really long time. Like I was a closet vegan. And I didn't tell anyone until just like, it was maybe two, two and a half years ago where I thought, you know what, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm really passionate about this. I love the way I eat. I'm going to tell people about this. But I just was so afraid that I was going to make people feel bad. Like, I don't want people to feel guilty about what they're eating. I didn't want people to think I was judging them. And I didn't want people to think I was a weirdo. So I just kept it to myself. And I was afraid. I remember typing that blog post. And every single time that I've typed a blog post and been afraid to hit publish, those have been the most impactful blog posts I've ever written. So I did it. And all these people were like, wow, this is so amazing. Like, I want to try this. And so that's become a big part of my narrative is that like, hey, you don't have to even go 100% plant-based. You can do how I did it and start just adding more of a plant slant into your life because it's healthier and it's better for the environment and it's better for animals because everybody comes at it from a different perspective. Like some people truly just care about animal cruelty and that's great. 
Some people only care about the environment and some people really are care about their health and they, that's their number one driver. So whatever the reason is, if you can just trend in that direction, everything is gonna get better. And what happens is that, and it doesn't happen to everybody, but like a lot of times you realize, I really like this. I'm just gonna keep going and I'm gonna go all the way with this and I'm gonna stay that way. Another thing that I think is interesting is people will email me and they'll say, well, I, I ate plant-based for like two months or two weeks and I screwed up. I ate a pizza or I, I, I went to McDonald's or whatever it is. And I say to them, hey, like it's okay. like." doesn't mean that you're bad. It doesn't mean that you're not plant-based. Like the label I think is something that messes with people. I say, so what? Like just say, okay, I ate this and get back on track. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of your go-tos? Like what's a, what's a go-to pre-race meal for you? I keep it really simple. I just eat bread with almond butter and some jam. Like that is kind of my, and some coffee. Like that's what I eat in the morning. A lot of times people have said to me, like nutritionists, they say, well, you should be eating white bread because there's too much fiber in the whole grain bread that you're eating. But if I eat white bread, it's like I need to eat it right before my race, otherwise I get hungry. So I go for the whole grain bread like an hour and a half to two hours before my start, and that's enough. And then I start fueling immediately when I get on the bike. What kind of nutrition do you use on the bike? I use goo, and I like the Roctane product because it has amino acids in it. And I also like caffeine when I'm racing. So I'm kind of a weirdo, like even for like, eight plus hours, I just mostly do it on gel, like gel and water and using a gel flask where you put like five, four or five gels in a flask and add water. So number one, it makes it easier to digest. And number two, it's like, you're not littering. You just like take it out of your pocket and drink it. That's been really effective for me. Um, but not everybody's stomach can handle that. But I think the goo products for me, like I've never had a digestive issue before and I've done lots of long, long races. Do you mix, because we have a buddy who does the same thing, do you mix different kind of gels together or do you use like one straight flavor in the in that five gels in that one flask? I try to use one straight flavor and goo recently is in the last couple of years, they, they sell one giant pouch of 24 gels instead of like individually tearing each one open and having to deal with that. But I have mixed them whenever I run out, like when you have to go to singles. So yeah, you, I tried not to. Have you tried the new cold brew coffee? I haven't because it came out when I was pregnant. Oh yeah, and it's and gonna they, bang you with 70 milligrams of caffeine. Yeah, and I am drinking caffeine. I drink one Americano in the morning and that's it. So I don't wanna give up my morning coffee for the cold brew gel. It'll be, it'll believe it'll me, be around. like <laughs> for the amount that BJ and I are buying, like I think we're keeping the supply and the demand <laughs> up. So it'll, we'll make sure we keep that up so you can have it post baby. Um, what is your go-to for recovery? Because a lot of times, oh man, and the tides are changing. The tides are definitely changing. But sometimes like I finished a trail race, you know, a 32 mile trail race not too long ago. And it's just like, for the lack of a better word, poison. There's just poison. Yeah, it is poison. Yeah. So what is your, like, how do you navigate that finishing a race and then having a buffet of poison? Like, what do you do for your recovery? Yeah. Well, first of all, this might, like, people might be like, oh, you guys are so extreme. But people ask me, well, how do you not eat the crap? And it's literally because I tell myself it's poison. I'm poisoning myself. And we just had Canadian Thanksgiving here. Um, and we made our own vegan Thanksgiving and we brought it to our family's house. Like we spent the whole weekend cooking it and they still had like turkey and stuffing and whatever. But we're like, we're not gonna bring, we're not gonna eat poison. Like if people come stay with us, like our, our, our nephews come stay with us, which they did. We're not gonna, we're gonna feed them what we eat. We're not gonna poison our nephews. Anyways. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, lo- <laughs> I love it. I, 
You can be a little bit more extreme when it's your family. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but when you're getting out, like, what do you like to do to recover your body? Yeah. So I've never been a fan of recovery drinks. Even before I changed my diet, like, I hated, like, the whey protein type of drinks. It just, it always upset my stomach. It tasted nasty. Like, I just don't like powder recovery drinks, really. Or I haven't found one that has, like, worked for me or that I've liked. So I just eat food or I bring my own food. So like if you're doing a race, if you're if you're lucky enough to be able to drive to a race or even just like go to the grocery store when you get there, like buy some things that you like and just have it with you in the car. And the amazing thing about plant-based is like you don't have to really worry that much about refrigerating things. So people are like, "Well, like you didn't refrigerate your soy milk." And yeah, if it's if it's been opened and then it's like 90 degrees out, it's probably not ideal to drink it. But if you bought it like off the shelf and it's not been opened yet like it's fine so like i like granola with berries and um that's a great treat too like i love that or i'll just like bring a sandwich that i made or i'll buy food from like whole foods or or restaurant i'll just bring it and leave it in the car and then it's there for me when i'm done yeah so taking control of your health essentially yeah 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 and, and same goes for travel too like just plan ahead like there's awesome apps happy cow or just like even if you just go on to like Google and type in vegan restaurant or vegan gro- grocery store, like you can find all that stuff really easily. Awesome. All right. I got one final question for you. What does it mean to you to live a high performance life? It means that I'm always looking to grow in a lot of different areas. I'm looking to do my mental reps, which, you know, I need to add a practice into there to continue that and always be learning Um, always be trying to help people as much as I can and give first before getting that's something that you know you guys are doing too like whenever you're putting all of this free awesome information into the world that helps people like for me at the end of the day that is the number one most important thing but it also helps me be better too Um, and then being as healthy as I can so that I can not only like when you show up as your the best version of yourself it's not selfish. It actually makes you have much stronger impact on those around you. And it's, it's leading, it's living by example and taking care of my body and being, making sure that I'm doing things that are true to me, not because somebody else told me to. And that might sound a little bit rebellious, but I think it's really important to, to lead in your life with the things that you believe in. Otherwise you start living a life for somebody else. Yeah, and I think a little rebellion's not a bad idea because this, you know, <laughs> this social programming, this robotic living that we see so much is like we got to rebel against that because we are we are much more powerful than that and we're here to express ourselves to our fullest degree and you're doing that and it requires you to walk through fear and it requires you to learn humility and it requires you to do things that maybe not everybody approves of. So I applaud you for everything that you've done, everything that you've created. Uh, we didn't talk about Moxie and Grit, so tell people um, how they can get a hold of you, and they need to check out Moxie and Grit because you have some super <laughs> badass socks with um, rebellious uh, words on there, which I love so much. So, how can people get in touch with you and get a pair of those amazing socks? Yeah, thanks. You can just go to sonyalooney.com and you can find all my plant-based stuff. I have a free Facebook group, Plant Power Tribe, which, and you don't even have to be plant-based to join it everything's on there. Moxie and Grit is on there. Um, all my social media. So yeah, I'm really easy to get in touch with. I respond to every single person that sends me a message. So if something resonated with you or something didn't resonate with you, send me a message. Awesome. Thank you so Thanks, much. Sonia. This is so Thank great you. to get together. And when we come in contact in the physical, we're going to do it again. Yeah, sure. 